Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Awesome. Well, just uh, excited to have so many uh, visitors here with the, the Penn Friends. It's forced uh, the New Day people to find new chairs, so that's good. It gets, gets them out of their comfort zone. So, all right. Uh, so today we are continuing our series on the, the three journeys. This is our year-long series, the, the inward, the upward, and the outward journey. And the first part of the year, we are talking about the inward journey. Right? And the inward journey, uh, as we have been saying, right, is, the, is that journey that everybody is on. We're all on it, whether we're Christians or non-Christians, you know, whatever. We are all seeking to answer this question, who am I? Right? Where do I fit? Right? Am I valuable? Am I important? Right? And so for the Christ follower, uh, we believe that the inward journey is about walking out forgiveness, walking out repentance. It is stepping into the process of sanctification. It is allowing God to come and transform us more and more into the image of Christ. And so today, uh, we're talking about the inward journey and where we're going to get to, right? This is, this is the goal. This is the target is Philippians 4, verses 8, right? Philippians 4, verse 8 says, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, you know, look, think about these kind of things, all right? And so we're, that's, that's where we're going, and we're going to follow Paul's train of thought from Philippians 3, 12, and 14, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, running the race, right? And we're going to follow his train of thought from chapter 3 into chapter 4, and we're going to talk about this because the Word of God is the most significant tool in our toolbox for transformation, right? We need the Word of God, and so that is what we are talking about this morning. And so the title of today's message is, What We Focus On Matters, right? It matters what we focus on. And I found this in my junk drawer today. It's a magnifying glass. And... Uh, it helps you to focus on things. I was looking at one of my sons. He builds models. and Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, and so what we focus on matters. When I was in high school, I was on the golf team. You guys might not know that I'm a golfer. I'm a, the worst golfer in the history of the world. But for a, a season, my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I was on the golf team. And I wasn't great, but I remember my, my coach over and over again telling me to focus. He said, Focus on where you want the ball to go, right? Just imagine it landing right, uh, right in the middle of the fairway, right? And, he, and that didn't ultimately help me very much <laughs> because my ball is never in the fairway. And, uh, but the, the point being, and we hear this in a lot of uh, sports, right? It's like you got to focus, you know, you, you know, focus on sinking the free throw, you know, focus on hitting that drive. Focus on throwing that perfect spiral, right? It's, it, it's all about focusing because we want to get rid of any superfluous thoughts that are going to distract us, right? That aren't going to help us to accomplish our goal, right? When I was on the golf tee, you know, I was surrounded by all upperclassmen, right? And like, they always make, you're, you're always like one of the first people to tee off, right? And you're just standing there and all these other guys are just watching you. And I'm like, and so in my head, I'm like, 
man, I know it's going to go over there or go over there. They're laughing at me. And so I was so, I'm a bad golfer anyway. But then I had all these distracting thoughts in my head and it just made it worse and worse and worse. You know, and I, I pulled up an article about mental, uh, mental focus in sports and they said that any thought that does not directly contribute to you completing the task is unproductive, is ineffective, and may undermine confidence, right? And so focusing isn't going to automatically make your, your ball hit the middle of the fairway, but it is going to increase your percentage of doing it because you've gotten rid of those extra distracting thoughts, right? And so what we focus on matters. And the same thing is true in leadership as well, right? A leader uh, is the one who declares and projects the vision. This is where we're going. This is what the world is going to be like once we get there, right? This is who we are going to be as an organization or as, as a company, whatever it is, right? And so as they set that vision, the, the employees or the volunteers, right, they are more willing to endure the mundane parts of the day in, day out part of, of life, of work, right? The answering the emails and, you know, you know, when I worked at Fox Brothers, it was going out and fixing people's windows. It was like, oh, why are we doing this, right? But when we know the vision, when we have a, a purpose, it makes those mundane things doable, right? Because we go, oh, I, I don't love this, but I know where we're going. We're making the world a better place. And so I'm running after that, right? Or maybe, you know, what we focus on matters when we're losing weight. Over the last year, I've gained about 20, 25 pounds. And I... Where? So I know this is true because I have five pairs of great khakis that are hanging in my closet that I cannot wear. And my heart wants to wear those khakis. Like I, want to wear, I, I don't want to buy new pants. I want to wear those pants. Um, and so... And so when I'm saying no to Twinkies or no to Nutty Bars or no to, you know, a large fry or whatever, you know, it's, or maybe if I am getting up and I'm, I'm exercising or whatever and I'm sweating and it's kind of horrible, it's like my, my focus isn't on how horrible this is, right? It's every morning when I get up and I'm like, I want to wear those pants. No, you're not wearing those pants today. I know where I'm going. What we focus on matters. It makes the hard stuff doable, all right? All right, so in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, Paul was encouraging uh, the church in Philippi to run the race, right? We talked about how we need to forget what is behind. We strain towards what is ahead with our eyes fixed on the goalpost to the end of the race, right? To the upward call of God in Christ, right? We get to know Jesus, and that is our focus. So we're kind of picking up from there and moving into the next section here. In verse 17, Paul says this. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. All right? And so what do we see over and over again? Three times in this verse, follow my example. Just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do, right? What you focus on matters. And so we aren't given this vision of knowing Christ, this vision of 
finishing the race, living faithfully, glorifying God, finishing well, whatever it is, without being shown how to accomplish that in the day-to-day living, the day-to-day aspects of our Christian life, our Christian life or our Christian walk. Right? We are given examples. Paul was an example to the church in Philippi. This is how you follow Christ. This is how you run the race. Follow my example. Right, we also, in the Bible, we have another great example. His name is Jesus. Right? In Matthew 16, 24, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? And Jesus says, follow me over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. He is a living, breathing example for us. And so not only are we given these great examples, the, the Word of God gives us instruction, it gives us stories, gives us histories and poems and proverbs that guide us and direct us in getting to our goal. All right? We can follow Paul, the example of Paul and Jesus. We can follow the, the teachings of the Word of God. And we can have living, breathing models in our own lives, right? I, uh, I say this a lot, but Pastor Cameron, who is the, the senior pastor of New Day Michigan campuses, like, he is an amazing model, a godly man that I am happy to follow. He shows me what it means to, to be a godly leader, to be a, a godly husband, to be a godly father. And so I follow his example. And we are supposed to. We're supposed to find good examples and follow them. A couple, well, last week I was at another church helping uh, with, with worship. And they're, it's, a, it's a newer church. Um, and they're kind of getting their worship team trained up. And they just invited me to, to come and kind of fill in, uh, to kind of fill out the team and just to give a little bit of feedback. And so afterwards, the, the worship le- leader, the, the lady is like, oh, thanks so much for playing. You know, do you have any advice? Do you have any feedback? And I was like, I mean, first of all, you guys did great. You know, like I could sense the presence of God here. And I was like, the only thing I would encourage you to do is be confident, right? Like, you are fantastic. Don't sell yourself short. It felt like, I was like, you're, I felt like you're kind of, just kind of sinking back and hiding. Just go out there and lead powerfully. She's like, well, I don't want people to see me. Right? I want people to see Jesus. I'm like, well, that's good. I totally understand your heart. But your job is to lead people. And if people can't see you, right, if you're hiding from people, you're not going to be able to lead them. Right? And Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And so that's the same thing you are doing. You, know, you are leading. Be a leader. Right? And so not only do we want to identify and find people that are godly that we can use as examples and we can run after them, we want to be the kind of people that somebody that comes behind us can follow, and we are going to launch them and point them towards Jesus Christ. Right? And so Paul says, he says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on, on us who are you know, maybe a little bit further down the road than you are. So keep your eyes on us. But look what he says in verse 18, the very next verse. He says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Right? And so isn't it interesting? He says, follow us 
because there's people who are enemies of the cross. So he's warning them, right, not to follow people that are enemies of the cross. There's two options in our life. We can follow two kinds of people. We can run two kinds of races. People that are leading us towards Jesus or people who are enemies of the cross. And in, uh, in the next verse, he, he reveals what the, the goal, what the, the prize is for these enemies of the cross. He says their, their prize, uh, their outcome is destruction, right? D- you know, the, what he talked about just a few verses earlier in 12 and 14, run the race, forget what is behind, pursue what is ahead, keep your eyes focused because you can know Jesus. That is the goal. That's what we're running after. These other guys, these enemies of the cross, they're running right after destruction. And so, I'm just going to turn to to Philippians here. Philippians chapter 3. There it is. All right, so Philippians chapter 3, he says, we just read verse 18, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Right? So don't follow those guys. And he says, among other things, right, their mind is set on earthly things. And so Paul is giving us a clue, giving the Philippian church a clue. Here's how you know if you're following somebody who's the enemy of a cross or you're following somebody who's racing after Jesus. Right? They, the people who are running after uh, that are enemies of the cross, one of the things they do is they set their minds on earthly things. And so what is an earthly thing? First of all, we know that he doesn't mean that the earth is bad, right? God created the earth. God loves the earth. We get to live all of eternity on the earth, right? The new heavens and the new earth. God created it. He put us on here on the earth on purpose, right? And so he's not saying, Paul's not saying that we need to escape this physical bondage, right, and get to some new supernatural realm, right? right? The, the physical reality is good. So that's not what he's talking about. What I believe that Paul is saying is that earthly things are, are these things that are associated with the fall, right? These are things like sin and selfishness, corruption, impurity, sexual immorality, jealousy, trying always to get our own way, right? Learn, trying to exalt ourselves, quarreling, gossiping, on and on and on it goes. It's all these things, right, that he said in his letter to the Colossians that we, as Christ followers, we're supposed to put off all this stuff, put all this junk, put, all, put off all the, the stuff that is part of the, the earthly nature. Get rid of it. Don't set your minds on these kind of things. And don't follow people who set their minds on these kind of things. All right, and so what, what does this mean for our lives today? How do we live this teaching out today? And I think that, that an easy kind of takeaway would be to be careful of what we're seeking, be, to be careful of what we are focusing on, to be careful of what we are allowing into our hearts and into our minds. There is a, an article uh, in Psychology Today, and the doctor's name, what's her name? I can't read it. Elaine Spungen. This is not a made-up article. This is not from The Onion. This is 
uh, from Psychology Today. So Dr. Elaine Spungen, I'm sure that's not how you say it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, doctor. Um, and so the article is called, What Happens If You Don't Watch What You Watch? All right? And this is from 2013. She says, it turns out that what you watch, read, listen to, and play can affect your mood, temper, and even how generous and kind you are towards others. All right? This is, no, this is not a shock. <laughs> you know, we're not, nobody's like, oh my goodness, I had no, no idea. All right? But, uh, oh, where's my article? Oh, here it is. So I just wanted to read you a couple of things from her article that I thought were interesting. Uh, so she's talking about TVs, movies, video games, and news. Um, people who watch as little as 15 minutes of negative TV news shown increases in depressed mood, anxiety, and tendency to be more catastrophic about their personal worries. You know? And so it affects us. Right? Music. Turns out even music with aggressive lyrics is associated with more aggressive thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Right? And so what we listen to affects how we think and how we act. Yesterday, I had a rough morning at a situation happening and I was kind of I was kind of upset and and I was like I'm just gonna I'm gonna work out and do some exercise and so I was like I need some music to exercise to and so I got my Spotify and I pulled up Metallica's Black Album from 1991 and um, don't judge me um, because I was into it I haven't listened to it probably since high school but it's anyway Metallica they're, they're intense right and I, and I turn it on, and like the first bar of Enter Sandman comes on, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Didn't I just write a sermon about this? Ah! And I, and so I turned it off. I was like, man, I, I don't, because what I wanted, right, is like I was angry, and I wanted something to, like, to build on my anger so I could just uh, be angry, right? And I was like, why would I want to be angry? Like, this is, this is crazy. So I put on uh, an 80s pop station, and it was great. It was fun. Um, there's, probably, there's probably better choices even than that, but that's what I did. So, so because what we listen to, what we allow into our minds and into our heart affects us, right? We, and what we watch on TV makes a difference. Even if we say, oh, you know, I don't agree with this. I don't believe this. I, it's not, I'm not going to let that affect me, I'm going to ignore that part, right? That stuff gets into our brain and affects how we think and how we live and it affects our values, all right? So it matters what we watch. So don't set your minds on those kind of things and don't follow people who set their minds on those kind of things. And right in the next verse, Paul says, chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Because we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So Paul is saying, you know, you are no longer part of this fallen, sinful, corrupt world. You are a new creation. You are no longer a citizen of this dark kingdom, right? You are a citizen of heaven. You have a new destiny. You have a new goal. You have a new prize that you get to run after. So live like it, he says. Live like the new creation that you are. Don't get sucked back into that old race, that old race that leads to death and destruction. 
And so then Paul goes on and gives some examples of what, as new creations of citizens of heaven, what we should be doing. He says in 4.2, and we don't have time to see, I told you we're, we're shooting for verse 4.8. We're getting there. We're real close. This is all intro. Uh, just kidding. Uh, he says, so as citizens of the kingdom, as you, know, you are supposed to be of the same mind, be in unity with one another. That's how you can distinguish somebody who's racing after Jesus. There is unity with the body of Christ. There's unity with the Holy Spirit. Second, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. You know, run after and follow the example of people that are happy, that are rejoicing in the goodness of God, our Creator, our Heavenly Father who loves us. Be somebody who rejoices, follow somebody who rejoices. Right? Verse 5, he says, be gentle. I love that. I wasn't expecting that one. Like, this is a characteristic of a person who's running after Jesus. Be gentle. Verse 6, he says, as a, as a citizen of the kingdom, as a citizen of heaven, be a person of prayer. Follow people who pray. And finally, in chapter 4, verse 8, uh, he says, think about heavenly things. Think about the things above in contrast to setting your mind on earthly things. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about good things. And in this, this article by Dr. Spungen... <laughs> Not only does she kind of give some examples of watching negative content, but she says, on the other hand, watching TV shows and video clips with pro-social themes, like people helping others, problem-solving, cooperating, being generous, can lead to more cooperation, more positive attitudes, less aggression, and more altruism. Right? Or on music, if you listen to music with pro-social lyrics about love, friendship, and hope, it's linked to increases in helping behavior, care for others, and generosity, as well as decreases in aggressive thoughts, behaviors, and hostility. Right? And so if you're upset, don't listen to Metallica. That's ridiculous. doesn't make any sense. Right? Like, listen to something good that is going to be uplifting. Um, don't tell Cameron. I'm not promoting Metallica. That's very clear. That's very clear here. So as Christ followers, we are to think about these positive kind of things. We're supposed to, to stay in the midst of positive things. And the Greek word that's translated uh, think here in verse 8 is this little word, logizeste, which means more than just, uh, it doesn't mean just keep in mind, but it means to take into account, uh, reflect upon them. And this is the best part. Allow these things to shape your conduct, right? Think about these good and pure and noble things because it shapes your conduct, right? And we are trying to become more Christ-like, right? That is the goal, right? We want these positive kinds of things, this kingdom thinking, things that bring glory to God to shape our conduct, to shape our conduct because what we focus on matters, right? And the best way to meditate on or think about these kinds of things that are 
positive and noble and true and the best way to learn how to identify what is good, what is noble, what is admirable, what is excellent is by spending time, meaningful time, in the Word of God, in the Bible. Right? Because we all know, many of us know, that the Bible is God's very Word to humanity. Right? Uh, Second Timothy... There it is. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Right? All Scripture is God-breathed. Right? This is His very Word to us. Even in our statement of faith, which you can find in our family room on, in, in the little brochure, it says, we believe, this is who we are as a church, right? We believe that the 66 books of the Bible are the inspired and therefore inerrant word of God. It is the final authority for all we believe in how we are to live, right? This is, this is actually the very first statement in our statement of faith, that we believe that the word of God, the Bible, is the final authority for what we believe, right? And if this is true, you know, and if this is really what believe, how are we not voraciously consuming this book, right? The creator of the universe has some stuff that he wants us to know, right? He, and he inspires these authors thousands of years ago. He protects the word of God for thousands of years. And now I probably have 20 of these laying around my house, Right? Because this is God's very word to us. It shows us how we can know Him. It shows us how we can draw close to Him. You know, uh, there's this, we know that there's this kind of what we call natural revelation, right? That we can look at the, the stars or we can look at nature and we can go, man, this has to be created. Somebody is behind this, right? And natural revelation can get us so far going, there is a God, we want to know you. Right? But we need special revelation to know how to draw close to him, to know what his characteristics are, to know what he expects of us. Right? And so he gives us that in his word of God. He's like, yeah, I exist, and this is who I am. I am a father who loves you. I am a father who gave everything to be restored to you after the, the devastation of the fall. I sent my own son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could be restored, that you could be reconciled to me, right? And we know the stories. We know that, that Jesus is the son of God, right? Because of his life and his history and because we have it recorded and prophesied and promised to us in the word of God. The Bible is so important. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word or the message of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Right? The Bible is the inspired message of Christ. And Paul says, let it dwell inside of you. Right? And dwell is an authoritative command. Right? This is, Paul is not giving us a suggestion here. Right? He's like, as Christ followers, you need to let the word of God dwell in you. And dwell means to, to live or to stay as a permanent resident. Right? 
It's not temporary. It's not transient. It is permanent. You know, we don't dwell in a hotel, right? We stay for a couple nights. We're visiting a place, but we dwell in our homes, right? We, we dwell in, in, in our permanent residences, right? And I don't want the Bible to be like a hotel that I just visit once in a while, right? I want the Word of God to be where I live, to be where I dwell permanently every day. Right? Because as I dwell in the Word of God, the Word of God dwells in me. Right? When we dwell in the Word of God, it transforms us. Right? Just like in that uh, Psychology Today article, it says that what we watch or read or listen to changes us. But we, in the Word of God, not only is it God's Word, but we have the added influence of the Holy Spirit working in us, conforming us to the image of Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says the the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The the word of God is not just some letters on a page. It's not just some guys in in history that had some ideas about God that they thought they'd write down and now we read it. No, these are the God-breathed, you know, uh, realities of what God wants us to know, right? And it is alive and it is active and it, it transforms us. It convicts us. It, it comforts us. You know, it dwells inside us and it changes us. Pastor Cameron, uh, he said that God's word is not merely a roadmap, but an internalized guidance system that changes us and enables us to change the world. I'm like Cameron, right, that is a good word. I'm going to use that. God's word is not just a roadmap that shows us how to, to live life, but it is an internalized guidance system that changes us and enables us to change the world. Right? And so we need to get it inside of us. And we can't do that just by owning one. I have a lot of books that I've bought that I really want to read because I want the information, right? But I haven't I never opened them up. And it doesn't they haven't been very helpful. Right? But it looks good. If you come over and look at my library, it's very impressive. Right? That's some really impressive books. I'm going to read them someday. But So we can't just get it through osmosis. We have to dwell in it so it will dwell in us. Right? And this is part of the inward journey. Here we're, we're closing. Uh, we're moving towards closing. It is part of the inward journey because it is ultimately and authoritatively what answers the questions that we ask. Who am I? Right? The Bible answers that. Am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Where do I fit in this world? Is there a purpose for my life? Right? The Word of God answers those questions for us. It's the only authoritative and ultimate, true, foundational answer to those questions. And as we've said multiple times in this series, that we're using Robert Mulholland's definition of spiritual growth, which is the process of being transformed or being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so dwelling in the Word of God is a vitally important part of this process. And I would say that it is the most important tool in our spiritual growth toolbox, right? We need the Word of God. Everything else that is good, right? Hearing God's voice, healing and restoration, experiencing God through revival or worship or 
anything else that is good that we do to draw close to God, anything but separated from the authority of the written words of God is prone to our human error. Right? The, the, the inspired and inerrant word of God, it keeps us on track. It protects us. It keeps us focused on the truth. It corrects us. And this, dwelling in the word of God, allowing the word of God to dwell in us, is our primary means of spiritual growth. So don't neglect it. Don't just leave it on your bedside table or on your bookshelf. Get, out, get it out and get into it, right? And so today I just challenge you to make an intentional step in committing to, to reading or studying or memorizing God's word. And last real quick story, <laughs> that my life was just radically transformed about six or seven years ago when I made a commitment to spending every morning, you know, reading God's word and praying. And it wasn't overnight, it was a little over a year um, that I had committed. I'm just, every day, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm focusing. And little by little, right, there is, I just realized that there was freedom, that there was this gradual change, that this season where I was just focused on and getting the, the word of God in me, right, uh, it changed the trajectory of my life, right? It reignited my passion for God, right? It, it brought freedom from this, these persistent sins that kept hacking away at me, right? It helped me to step more fully into to joy and to peace, right? It, God wants to set us free. He wants us to walk in fullness, right? But we need to cooperate with him. And one of the best ways we can do that is by getting into the word and doing it purposefully. It's not immediate, right? You're, you're, you don't read the word and then boom, you know, you're instantly changed. That could happen. God can do amazing things. He kicked a guy off a horse one time. You know, he can do whatever he wants. But often, right, it it's this process that we have to pursue and walk out. And so spend time in the word, you know, consistently and see how it transforms you and you become more and more conformed into the image of Christ. All right. All right, so let's just close in prayer. Wow, Father God, we love you. God, we love you. Just thank you so much that you gave us your precious word. God, that you, it, you inspired it. God, that you breathed it out, that you protected it for so many years and generations. God, that we now have still your, your word. God, we just thank you for that. And I just pray that each person here, God, that you would just stir up a passion for your word. God, that we would dwell in it so that it would dwell in us. Father God, I just pray that you would just bless every person and uh, just bless their Sunday. In your name we pray. Amen.